You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk about the difference between full employment and maximum employment and the interesting tidbit that a $3 trillion infrastructure package could actually lead to fiscal drag in 2022. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Dustin Reed for our bi-weekly conversation. Welcome back, Dustin. Thanks very much for having me back. Good to be here. Our last conversation really focused a lot about the uh, the Fed meeting that happened uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, I'd love to get your a recap of of that meeting, uh, what happened, and uh, any surprises that were were in there. So I think the Fed meeting basically went down as uh, I we would have expected. A lot of people going into the meeting, you might recall, were expecting a. Um, and maybe an increase in terms of uh, the liftoff for Fed funds, either seeing the Fed expecting a liftoff in uh, 2023 um, and maybe even two hikes on the margin. Um, that, uh, that did not happen. We only really got an increase in 2023 of a couple of dots, which seems to suggest that the Fed is still very much on hold uh, for the foreseeable future and really trying to adhere to its new mandate uh the the uh inflation average uh, average inflation targeting as well as the uh the employment the employment mandate which i would call now uh max employment maximum employment as opposed to full employment and i think that uh powell had a very strong press conference essentially saying that he was going to keep things um relatively accommodative uh not only on the not only on the rate side but also on the um uh, like the Fed fund side, but also on the on the yield curve perspective, i.e., he's not really interested in getting in the way of it, and that expectations in terms of higher growth and higher inflation expectations were, um, you know, justified in terms of seeing the yield curve move higher. We also got, uh, as part of the SEP, the Statement of Economic Projections, um, upgrade in terms of Fed expectations for real GDP this year, and we've been talking about it a little bit. Um, on, I think, these podcasts and, and definitely internally within the team and the Global Investment Committee. But uh, this idea of uh, 8% uh, nominal GDP growth, basically 6 plus 2, 6% real, 2% inflation, uh, the Fed is on board with that as well. Uh, and 8% nominal GDP growth this year is, it's a big number. I mean, we've seen bigger, but it's a it's a serious number and a lot of it's real growth, which is obviously, you know, more, probably a little more constructive than, uh, getting, getting, uh, you know, nominal GDP via inflation. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that, that I think continues to underpin our call for, uh, rates to continue to grind higher here. Um, the short end is probably going to continue to price higher, uh, as well. Although I still think the, the broad move is, you know, at least from a twos tens perspective is, is a steepener and, and, you know, and we like, and we like those trades uh, and have those trades. Uh, but I think that um, <clears throat> this Fed is um, not going to get involved until, unless it's unbelievably 
volatile price action. I think this Fed's not getting involved until we see two percent in uh, in ten year yields, and uh, accommodation is going to remain easy. And I think that you know the Fed is not concerned as well about um, other asset classes, um, particularly equities. You know, we're just not picking up that that concern from Powell at all in terms of equities being overvalued um, or running away higher. And I think that that, you know, that's all very important and it feeds into the narrative that uh, we've got a long way to go here. And obviously, um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the fiscal stuff a little later in the, uh, in the uh, podcast here, but, you know, from a fed perspective, I think that, um, you know, it's pretty clear sailing until June and uh, it'll be a very interesting second quarter ahead of us with, um, you know, with the inflation, with the inflation spikes that are, that are likely. Great. I, I'd like that you, you left a lot there to, to di- dive into. I wanted to come back to uh, at least first one of the points that you made, and that was the point of distinct, distinguish between full employment and maximum employment. Um, what does that distinguish mean and, and what are the resulting uh, policy characteristics that might come out of the Fed because of it? So in 2019, uh, I would say that we started to pick up the idea that the Fed kind of called an own goal on itself and and started to talk about the idea that um, that 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 um, full employment is actually lower than what it had thought, probably closer to three and a half percent as opposed to maybe a little more traditional four low fours kind of neighborhood. Um, and that was coming on the back of this Fed Listens Tour that was happening for the duration of 2019. The Fed Listens Tour was basically the Fed getting away from Wall Street and going around um, all over the U.S. and speaking to more like community town hall events and trying to understand what was happening in local labor markets. And they found that uh, basically like uh, the overwhelming feedback was that uh, having uh, getting towards full employment was getting people, well, a few things, getting people who were not in the labor force in the labor force, getting people that were underemployed to be, uh, you know, maybe fully employed, maybe a part-time yeah. worker, you've got two or three part-time jobs, you got a full-time job. And then you've got other people, uh, you know, uh, seeing solid wage increases that hadn't really seen those in a, in a number of years. The Fed took a lot from that. And what you're seeing now I would say in December, January, February from Powell in these press conferences is, uh, the idea that he wants to try and run the labor market, uh, hot. And by hot, he wants to get beyond full employment. And I think that they're, they're starting to use this term called maximum employment. So even if they get the employment, the unemployment rate down to, let's just use three and a half as a number just to have something, you know, to kind of put, put a flag in the ground. If if there are good chunks of the labor market, uh, subsets of the labor market, however you want to define that, and that might be, um, you know, uh, college age graduates, or it might be uh, minor minority, uh, you know, par- minority parts of the labor force, uh, or it might be male or female parts of the labor force. If we're seeing something that is uh, not at full employment for those subsets of the labor force then this Fed will employment. And this is a big plank in terms of why I think that this Fed is going to be very easy 
for a very long time because I think it's going to take a long time to kind of get all these categories um, beyond the traditional, what I would call full employment of three and a half percent. So this max employment or maximum employment idea is um, newish at the Fed. And we've all talked, we've all, we've talked a lot about the idea of running inflation hot. What right. I think is only really come up in the last month, month and a half by the market generally, although I would say we've kind of been on it for a while, is this idea that the Fed also wants to concurrently run the labor market as hot, so to speak. And um, this this newish doctrine of max employment as opposed to just full employment is very much um, a part of how the Fed, I think, is going to run things going forward. And that's another reason, just kind of circling back, Another reason why I think we're not seeing the, the dots move high as high as a lot of other people would have expected or going into the March meeting and why the dots are really lagging market pricing uh, in terms of uh, Fed expectations. So that I think all, again, to bring it back to markets means an easier Fed, a more accommodative Fed for uh, longer than, more pe- than most people would expect. And as long as these moves are not unruly, it probably means accommodation via QE, quantitative easing, for longer. And it probably means the Fed funds rate um, lower for longer. And I think that's, you know, it has obvious implications for, um, you know, for asset markets. And in our space, in my space, fixed income particularly, um, you know, again, I think it, it, it underscores one of the reasons why we have, I would say, you know, strategic trades um around being um short duration versus the benchmark not short duration overall but you know versus the benchmark you know being quite short whether that's our core mandates um you know or our our global mandates or otherwise and uh yeah and these this is where these fundamentals and these macro views kind of help help to you know frame the narrative of how we you know structure the portfolios from a medium term perspective so it sounds like the base case for inflation is transitory. Uh, you, you will you would expect that the numbers are going to come in in the th- high threes uh, during this period because of the base effect uh, primarily. Uh, you did reference, though, if it comes in higher, there's going to be a big ma- market reaction and the Fed might take uh, a, a second look and, and respond. W- what is that number? Is it four and a half? Is it five? Do you, do you have a sense for where that number is, where markets start getting jittery? I think anything beyond three and a half percent is probably where markets start getting a little bit concerned. And definitely if there's a, a four in front of it, I think markets are going to start to think that the feds, the feds behind the curve. I think that we need to see, we need to kind of see the makeup of what's going on and, uh, you know, what's driving it. And maybe markets won't care, but I think, you know, people, people like, you know, economists and strategists would probably be a little bit more interested in terms of you know, what's happening with, uh, healthcare prices? Uh, what's happening with, um, in the U.S., you know, owner's equivalent rent? Um, mm. clearly what, you know, what's happening with, uh, gasoline prices in terms of pricing? Um, oh, sorry, in terms of, you know, what's driving the, the headline rate? So I think those are some of the things that'll be, you know, quite important. I think everybody knows that, you know, vehicle prices, uh, have been have been on the rise. You know, used used car sales were used car prices were 
were up significantly for a long time. And I think, you know, things like that, but, you know, kind of the bigger components that really drive, really drive, uh, you know, inflation, like owner's equivalent rent, uh, healthcare, um, gas, gasoline. Um, those are the big components that I think where people will be, you know, people, people will have a little, a little more interest. Um, and it's really, it's tough to tell. I think like, I think these numbers are a little bit, um, a little bit all over the place. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I don't think, you know, people are talking about the Fed, you know, uh, maybe starting to talk about tapering their QE program at the June meeting. And, um, I think it's early. I think it's early because of kind of what I was saying before about, uh, you know, max employment and all that sort of thing. But also just from a, you know, just a a boring data perspective, you know, we're going to get the, we're going to get the the May inflation numbers in, in June. And I just think the Fed wants to see a little more run rate here in terms of, okay, we got through the, the, the base effects and the annual, um, you know, um, numbers for March, April, May, which come out, you know, April, May, June. And, you know, now we want to see, you know, if if I'm at the Fed, now I want to see how, you know, I don't, I don't want to start making policy decisions um, when, you know, I know I've been anticipating this data, expecting this data. This data has been, you know, well telegraphed. You know, we may have had some surprises. We may have not. But now I kind of want to see like how like the back half of this and how does how do things settle down um, at least for a few months. So I think those that are expecting you know a policy change with respect to uh, tapering or at least you know like a six month heads up like here we go uh, at the June meeting. I mean I'm saying it now in late March, which is a little early, but you know I think people are going to be disappointed there as well, uh, similar to how they were disappointed at the March meeting, looking for you know, hikes to get baked into the cake in 2023. Um, right. I think that the Fed's going to want to see a bit more run rate. So again, it kind of underscores the idea of Fed being, um, you know, more accommodative for longer, um, easier for longer. And I think that the inflation, you know, the inflation narrative is, uh, you know, is a big part of that. The Fed's definitely spent a lot of time, I would say year to date, the first quarter, hammering home the, the labor market you know, inside of uh, its mandate. Now I think Q2 is going to be very much about the inflation side of its mandate. Great. Why don't we switch from uh, from monetary and, and inflation to, to fiscal? Um, I've mm-hmm. started to see in the press a lot more about a coming uh, infrastructure package. It seems like uh, um, details are starting to be released about that. Uh, what's the latest on the fiscal side and, and how do you view uh, its ability to, number one, get passed and then, uh, and then number two, uh, the impact, possible impact on markets. So we've definitely uh, seen a pickup in the messaging and the news cycle around around the fiscal. To be fair, and I think coming into the year, maybe the first week or two of the year, kind of besides the the Georgia election, which was obviously a very important event. You know, I think we've had this view that fiscal, um, and in particular U.S. fiscal, is probably the one of the biggest drivers if not the biggest drivers of uh of i would say um kind of medium term medium term themes and trends um market drivers and and medium term themes and trends so i think that um you know we're we're kind of shifting into the next the next gear here 
And we're going to get a, a speech this week from Biden in Pennsylvania that apparently is going to outline his views on what we should be doing or expecting for uh, the next the next iterance of, uh, of fiscal help in the U.S., which is you know has been sizable and apparently will continue to be sizable. I think um, where the narrative has moved here a little bit is uh, you know we've obviously had this 1.9 trillion dollar COVID package uh, passed and those checks are running through the system and you know I expect the April numbers to be big numbers because uh, especially on the retail sales and consumption side because. You know, we saw the January numbers after the December package, and they were large. And I think this is even mm-hmm. bigger, uh, kind of again feeding into the inflation narrative. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. But um, what's what's next here, I think, is going to be um, how Biden wants to try and quarterback this. Now, <laughs> what I would say first of all is having spent a, a decent amount of time in my career um, working in the U.S. and kind of understanding a little bit of how U.S. policy works. Um, as important as it is for the White House, uh, and clearly they are pushing this, uh, it, t- generally tax and spending policy is uh, born and really teased out uh, in, in the House, uh, in Congress, and particularly the Ways and Means Committee. And we haven't really seen a lot from the committee yet. So I think that that's going to be very important in terms of how that comes together. But right now, the big headlines are coming out of the executive and the White House. And so the the questions to be answered, I think, are less about amount and more about how it's going to get done. Um, It's pretty well telegraphed, I think, that we're going to try and see a $3 trillion spending package, um, infrastructure, climate, um, education. Uh, green initiatives, uh, all those sorts of things. And that's going to be accompanied very likely by tax increases, both at the personal level and at the corporate level. And that's probably going to be at least a trillion. So, so the net add to the deficit is probably not going to be, um, you know, the three trillion number that's getting, that's getting passed around. I do think that, um, What's interesting potentially to markets is how this is going to get done. Uh, I would say Biden has moved away from the bipartisan ideal and moved more towards just going it alone and getting it done, um, maybe from a reconciliation perspective. And uh, the talk now is that he's going to split this big infrastructure build back better bill into maybe two bills, possibly more, but I'll say two for now. The idea that the first one's going to be very infrastructure focused, that's going to be a little bit more bipartisan, or at least in theory, bipartisan. And that generally means that um, uh, he's going to try and get the Republicans on side to get it done. Um, it's going to be hopefully areas where everybody feels that there's need to get infrastructure done. And there's a fair bit of uh, discussion that it's very tough to get infrastructure passed via the reconciliation method. Uh, in, in the Senate, which is a very arduous thing that I don't want to necessarily get into on, on this podcast. But um, you saw that in the uh, COVID bill that just got passed, there was, I forget the exact details, but something in New York and something in California, both for billions of dollars on infra- in, that were infrastructure, but they got kind of lumped into the COVID package. That got mm. thrown out. Uh, by the Senate parliamentarian because 
um, because the Senate parliamentarian did not feel that it met the, recon- the rules for passing under reconciliation. So I thought that's important, and that's important. It sounds very minutiae, but that's very important because it tells you that uh, the infrastructure bill probably needs to get passed via bipartisan method and via and not via reconciliation, which basically yeah. means like it's going to need 60 votes as opposed to 50 right. or 50, 50 plus one. And um, so that means to me that, you know, there has to be some sort of compromise on what's going on. Uh, and then what's probably going to happen is a little bit more of what I would call kind of like the Democrat uh, agenda that they campaigned on. Um very green, um, a lot of uh, uh, labor market assistance, um, a lot of corporate uh, uh, corporate tax hikes, personal tax increases, particularly on the top five percent, um, and those sorts of things that are going to be pay for us to help pay for some of the uh, you know the a little bit more progressive agenda, green agenda, so to speak. But I think net, I think people should be thinking like three in one in total, right? So 3 billion in, sorry, 3 trillion in, in new spending and a trillion in new taxes in terms of, you know, uh, how, you know, how we get there. I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth, but that's, what's going to happen. I would say just one other thing quickly on this, not to spend too much time on it, but, um, this next set of legislation, this next set of spending, importantly for markets, is different than the COVID stuff. The COVID stuff was built to hit, you know, today, tomorrow. Sure. The, inf- the you know, the next set, particularly the infrastructure, but I would say a lot of it, at least the spending side, is kind of a five or a 10-year horizon. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, throwing, I'm just putting a flag in the ground at, you know, $3 trillion, which is a, a monster number to be sure. But it's not like we've had for the last few COVID bills. This is not something that hits tomorrow, next week, next month. This is parsed out over years, maybe even a decade. And, you know, obviously it's still big numbers, right? But that's kind of 300, 400, 500, depending on the ebbs and flows, 300, 400, 500 billion a year, which is, you know, big numbers to be fair, right? But it's a $20 trillion economy, right? Right. So, you know, so, so what is that, right? That's, uh, you know, that's, that's 2%, right? Which is not nothing. Um, but it's, you know, but it's not, it's not huge either. And you're actually setting up, I think next year for a potentially a, um, uh, a fiscal drag uh, for 2022, because the tax, uh, pay fors are going to come into effect right away. And I hmm. think that you're going to see, uh, and not that they're front loaded per se, but they're, they're definitely not going to be as evenly spread out as the spending. And I would say, you know, the spending for the infrastructure st- stuff comes more over the, the the mid or the back end of the, you know, 10 year horizon. Right. Um, but the taxes start right away. So you could actually start to see the possibility of a, of a fiscal drag in 2022. I think that's very interesting. I don't think there are a lot of people talking about that. And, yeah. you know, while there's a lot of stuff ahead of us for the next, like we've talked about already in this, this show and, you know, previous, you know, a lot of inflationary things that are happening and those are still happening. And, you know, there's still markets to be had directionality from a directionality perspective because of that. Um, this fiscal drag in 22 with new taxes, particularly corporate taxes, I think is something that the market hasn't necessarily 
focused on yet. And rightly so. There's a lot to unpack kind of right, you know, immediately ahead of us. But that'll have implications for markets. And, you know, that's something, to be fair, I, I don't have all the answers on today. I'm still kind of thinking about how, you know, to kind of navigate the, you know, the turns, so to speak, and, and how this is going right. to go. And then kind of tying it back to where we were before. If that's true, if you've got a net fiscal drag in, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but you've got a, a fiscal drag in 2022 what's the fed thinking about that what's the fed doing about that you know right. is the fed is the fed tightening or at least removing accommodation actively in the middle of that maybe maybe not so i think there's, it's a very interesting policy question kind of going forward but that's kind of what i wanted to you know flag today from a from a fiscal perspective not only that the bills are going to get broken up but the timing and the the potential fiscal drag for for 22, which I think will have implications for, you know, for general risk appetite and, uh, and markets. Dustin, that's a, a great place to end it. I think uh, very very uh, thoughtful comment. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time and sharing uh, your insights, and I look forward to talking to you in two weeks. That sounds great. Thanks very much for having me. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.